0: Well, this is kind of fun for me because this will be the first talk I've ever given in church after I've become an old man. (laughs) Literally. I mean, my birthday was October 1, and I'm now 65. I have a Medicare card. I flash it everywhere I go. I get this free. Do I get this? Do I get to have that? Here, I got this card. You know, I can pass it around. How awesome is this? So now I'm an old guy and I was reading Psalm 37. Chad said, Won't you speak, Sunday? Just whatever God's burning in your heart. I said, Man, I'm reading Psalms right now, Psalm 37, and that's burning in my heart. So I said, Let's look at that. And here's what Psalm 37 25 says I have been young and now I am old. (laughs) That was speaking to my heart because I have been young. Sometimes I think I still am, but I realize I've got the card, (laughs) so I guess I am old, but that's okay. I get to be old now, and that's fun because I get to lead the wonderful senior adult ministry here in our church, and we had, last week, they had a birthday party for me. They sang happy birthday. They gave me gifts and cards and a cake and 100 people and a great meal, and we had a lot of fun, so that's the age I am. Now, somebody actually sent me this, too, after that party. It says things that are true now that you are sixty-five. Oh brother, here we go. Number one, kidnappers are not very interested in you. <laughs> well, before that they would have been, I suppose, but now not. In a hostage situation, you are likely to be released first. <laughs> so if I'm taken, I'll probably get to leave. Number three, no one expects you to run into a burning building. I'm too old to do that. You young guys do that. I'm, a, I'm stepping back here. I'm not running into there. Number four, things you buy now won't wear out. That means I'll be dead before my washing machine quits washing. Interesting. You can eat dinner at 4 o'clock. And it's usually half fries, too. Next one, your joints are more accurate meteorologists than the National Weather Service. I think it's going to rain today. Your secrets are safe with your friends because they can't remember them either. So gossip all you want when you get 65. Not for you, not a problem anymore. Your supply of brain cells is finally down to a manageable size. So, I can manage my brain. And lastly, you can't remember who sent you this list. So, <laughs> I'm throwing that away, I'm not using that anymore. Okay. Well, now I'm going to give you a talk from Psalm 37. And here's what kind of brought this up with me. Seems like a lot lately, I've just been sensing this, that the world seems to be spinning out of control. I mean, we used to have storms, but now we're having storms. We used to have some wildfires. Now we're having really big ones across the country. We used to have people getting shot in terrible ways. Now we have massacres at outdoor country concerts in Las Vegas. So you see all this evil rising in the world. You see all this natural disaster and trauma All the pain and the suffering that people are going through right now is unbelievable. It reminded me of the theological and the philosophical question that's been asked since the beginning of time, and that is this, why do bad things happen to what? Good people. And people have scratched their head and tried to answer that question and look for the answers. I have some good friends right now who are going through some terribly tough, difficult things Some who are going through very painful divorces. Some who have kids that are in very, very serious trouble. And it's just literally breaking their hearts. Family members I know who have cancer, and that's been the prognosis and the diagnosis about only a few more months probably to live. So you see this kind of thing happening. And so today I want to talk about Psalm 37. What does God say about things like this? Because he is the ultimate answer to all of this found straight from his word. We're going to look from there, not the philosophy and not the theology. What does God say exactly in his word about this? And so I've entitled this, When the Upright Get Uptight. So who are the upright? Well, the upright are me and you. If you claim to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you've accepted, received, believed in him as your Lord and Savior, the Bible calls you righteous. The Bible calls you upright. The Bible calls you a son or a daughter of the Most High God. And so that's a pretty good place to be to start with. So if you believe about who you are, something called identity, we don't ever talk about that much around here. I thought maybe I would start to... (laughs) We talk about that all the time. Why? Because it is probably, other than being saved and coming to Christ, the most important thing you'll ever know and learn and, and believe. Because that will impact everything else that happens to you in life if you understand that. And if you don't understand that, you're going to be swirling around in all the mess the world's going through. And you're going to be fretting and worried about it sick to death often. So we wring our hands. What does it mean to be uptight? Maybe some of you are married to a person who's uptight. And they come in, and you're trying to be kind, and they're just frantic, like, oh, how was work today? All oh, the work was... <laughs> just sit down here. don't you know, just calm down. Just calm the beast down and stuff. And let, him, let him get some time before... Or you wring your hands about this, or you're frustrated, or you're worried, or you have doubts, you have fears about this. You see all this stuff going around the world, you just shake your hands saying, what are we supposed to do? And that's very, very common. In the back of our minds is the awareness that God has allowed evil into the world. Then when he allowed evil into the world through that slithering deceiver that came in called Satan, and when he came and he tempted Adam and Eve, and the whole human race was thrust headlong into sin, that started the downhill spiral of what happened to the human race. Then you read more in the story of the Bible, and you read about how he permitted his people to spend 400 years in Egypt in brutal slavery until God raised up Moses, the deliverer, who took them out of Egypt. Then you read further in the Bible, and you read about how he let Jerusalem be ransacked by marauding invaders who tore the city of Jerusalem to shreds and exiled some of the key people all the way down to Babylon, where they were there 70 years until they finally returned. So you see, all this trauma God's people have gone through in the story, and suffering, and pain, and what does God say about it in his Word? Let's look at Psalm 37 today, and the first three words here are the words that really jumped out at me when Chad asked me, where are you reading right now? What are you studying and processing? I said, I'm processing Psalm, you could preach on Psalm 37 for about six months. We'll do it in about 20 more minutes, just a little bit of it. I want to whet your appetite, so you'll go home and you'll read more of it, study more of it. Because here's what it says, first of all. And every time we see those first three words, we're going to read those out loud. Because when I see anything multiplied more than one time in a shorter period of time, like my mother used to call me, Stephen, 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 get yourself in this house. That meant more than saying, Stephen. Three times, ooh, I better get moving. Okay, let's say the three words out loud. What do they say? Do not fret because of those who are evil or envious of those who do wrong. And we'll go through this passage like that. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. I love this verse. Look at this one. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Pretty good words there. But that opening part, do not fret. When you fret, that means to worry excessively, wring hands. When this is going on, that is a self-inflicted wound. It's like taking a gun and shooting yourself with the gun and then wondering, why am I hurting Because you just blew a hole for your foot, basically, yourself. That's why you're hurting. It's a self-inflicted wound. It's something our brain does, and it processes a situation or a circumstance, and it causes us to start to feel nervous, anxious, worried, not knowing exactly how to process it. And in lots of life situations, there's really nothing as a believer that we can do when we're like that other than very simply to trust God. You either trust his timing or you don't. You either trust he allowed what is happening to you to go on for something that you don't understand or you don't. And so you have to learn to trust his timing. It's not so much on how you act about a certain situation that happens or a circumstance, but a lot of the times with me at least, it's how I react. This goes on, how do I react to what someone did to me? or said to me, or caused to happen to me? Do I react in a Christ-like, godly way, or do I react in my flesh? You know what? The person who worries a lot, one of his favorite Old Testament passages is, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, baby. I'm good at giving eyes and tooth, black eyes and pulling teeth. You smash my tooth, black my eye, I'm coming right back at you, baby. That's called the law. We're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. We're supposed to offer forgiveness, and we're supposed to forgive not the nice people, but our enemies. Who's that person right now? It pops in your mouth. If I say, who's your enemy? Well, it's that my husband. It's my neighbor. It's my boss. It's my kid in class. It bugs me. I don't know who, who's your enemy. The Bible says you're supposed to love them and forgive them. Whew. His way's a lot different than my way, isn't it? Most of us never really trust God until we absolutely have to. You know, um, look what happened to this person. Oh, well, I'll just go to the bank and take care of it. No problem. I'll just call up some of my, resource, my, my second team to come in and help me to take care of it. No, 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 no. But when you're really at the bottom of it and you got to really trust God, sometimes you, that's all you got left. That's often what happens to people. Verse 4 speaks of this, and I've misbelieved this for many, many years. Here's what it says. Delighting yourself into the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. We'll call that the two Ds. Okay, here we go. Over here, I'm going to be delighting in the Lord. I used to think what that meant was doing enough stuff to make him like me. Uh, here, here's what I would do. And I would, you could check them off on the list. One would be go to church. Check. Y'all are doing that. Y'all are doing that today. You got up. Here you are. So you're delighting in the Lord because you got up and came. Check. Read Bible. Check. How about prayer? Yeah, let's do that one. Check. Help other people. Do something. Yeah, give. Check, check, check. All right, I'm giving, I'm helping, I'm praying, I'm serving, I'm doing that. I've delighted in the Lord. Have I delighted in the Lord? Yes, I have. Okay, God's on this side. He's the desire guy over here. Now, God, I want you over here to give me what I want. Well, what do you want? Well, over here. Well, now that I've done all this stuff, I want you to give me uh, help me win the lottery. I need a bunch of money. Help make me rich. Uh, give me a Camaro. Uh, give me a beautiful home. Give me, a, give me a, a hot person to date. Give me this. Give me that. Give me, give me, give me. I've prayed all those requests in my life. Y'all never have, I know, but I've prayed all those things before. You're looking at me like a cow at a new gate. Like I've never prayed anything like that. I have, thinking I was doing enough stuff so he over here would give me the desires of my heart. That's what the Bible says. I didn't get any of those. So what's up with that? Here's what's up with that. Think of it like this. This really means if you truly love and delight in him, guess what? Your desires will be his righteous desires for your life. That's what it means. So, uh, trust in the Lord, delight in Him. I delight in who you are. I delight in who you are, not what you do for me. I delight in who you are, not what I can get out of it. I'm going to delight in you no matter what comes on this side over here. I'm still going to delight in you for who you are. And then he says, He will give me His godly and righteous desires. Then over here, what I'm desiring is what He wanted. And then what's going to happen is I'm going to start becoming closer to him, glory to glory to glory to glory, until I'm one with him. And when I'm in this perfect relationship, his desires are what I want to do, not him coming to my agenda and giving me what I want on this earthly way. in this earthly way. So that's kind of what I think he's teaching here. Now, in verse 7, here's what it says. It says, be still before the Lord, wait patiently for him. Now, let's read out loud. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Here we go. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. What's he talking about? He's probably talking about being still and inheriting the land, probably referring back to Moses and the children of Israel. King David, who wrote the psalm, would have had access to the law, which would have been the stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the patriarchs, Moses, the story of the, through the Red Sea, the children of Israel forming as a nation. He would have known all that historically and biblically in the law. So as he wrote these words under the inspiration of God, he might have been referring him back, be still before the Lord. Back in Exodus, when Moses was leaving Egypt and standing on the shore of the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army was in pursuit of him. God spoke to him and Moses and said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I think maybe we need to still be doing that today. Let's stand still, get quiet, hear from him until we move out. And then after that, he said, move out. When the sea parted, they moved out and they went through on dry ground Egyptian army behind, and the waters collapsed again, killing all of the soldiers from the Egyptian army. Now, here's an interesting thing as I was thinking about. I imagine it would have been easy for them to be fretting as they got to the edge of that massive body of water. They had left Egypt, probably over a million people or more, standing on the shore of them, hearing the rumblings and seeing way off in the distance of Pharaoh's chariots coming. They knew what it was like to be in slavery in Egypt. They thought they'll either kill us or take us back and put us in slavery again. You think they have any reason to fret? I go, this way I'm dead and drowning. I go, this way I'm a slave again. I don't know where I'm going. I got nowhere to go. And so maybe that's what he was referring back to them when he said, don't fret. Remember our forefathers? But here's the truth. They they would have probably not had the faith to see the miracle if there had not been the Egyptian army in pursuit. here's what that means. Sometimes when the Egyptian army is hot on your heels, it's exactly when you need to stand still, wait on the Lord, and move when he tells you to move and do what he tells you to do. It will sometimes take that Egyptian army to push you in the right direction. And that's what went on with these guys in this story. So sometimes the enemy might seem to have the upper hand. It certainly seemed to be with the Egyptians. It certainly seems to be in a lot of life situations. But here is the truth. Listen carefully. We are on the winning team. We are. If you're a believer in Christ, if you've accepted him as Lord and Savior, you're on the winning team. You may not be on the winning team today because of what happened on the sport field this weekend. I'm not on the winning team with what happened in sports. You might be on the winning team. Your team might have won. Yeah. But it only lasts for a short while. Next week, maybe I'll be on the winning team. Maybe you'll be losing next week. But sports teams come and go, and that's the way life works with sports and stuff. But there is no up and down with God. God never loses. And we're on a team (laughs) that never loses. Oh, man, let that sink into your skull. I've been working on it, trying to let it sink into mine. Verse 10. It says, a little while... I love that expression, remember it. Not a lot, not a long time. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit. What will the meek inherit? What will we get? We get the land. We enjoy peace. We enjoy prosperity. In a little while. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy to slay those whose ways are upright, me and you. But their swords will pierce their own hearts and their bows will be broken. Better the little with the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Here's the stark reality about life. Compared to eternity, we're only here for a little while. Just a little while. As I'm 65 years old now, I realize I'm closer to death now than I was 25 years ago. I'm closer to death than I was yesterday. I'm heading toward death. (laughs) Leave today and think, Steve said, and we're all heading toward death. (laughs) That's what we got out of the talk today. That that really is the truth. We're all only here for a little while. Like a blip on the radar screen that's boop and it's gone. That's it. While we got this little while, we make the most of it. We love it. We live every day God gives us, if it might be our last, as it could be the best, and that's okay, because we're only here for a short period of time. And that's what He says. And as bad as you think it is now, or as bad as it might become, compared to there, it's only a little while. Okay, so don't let it overwhelm you, because as bad as it can possibly be, it's still the Bible calls. A little while. And one day you will have a home with him forever in perfection in heaven. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more sadness, no more pain. Being with the face of Father God, Abba, and Jesus forever. You just think about that for a little while. Verse 11 said this, the meek shall inherit the land, peace, prosperity. That's the favor of God. When you read this psalm, you see the contrast, and you can read and study it a little deeper. You will see the contrast between the wicked and the, and the righteous. And it's kind of a back and forth both way. Um, each of us has, have unique life issues that have affected me and affected you in different ways that often rise up and grab us from time to time. As I've gotten older, here's what I've learned. You often wrestle with the same issues that you have for much of your life. You tend to think they're buried and dead and gone, but all of a sudden they'll raise their ugly head and say, I'm back. Now, wait a minute. Didn't I deal with you a long time ago? It seems like I thought we told you to get on back to the pit of hell where you came from. And all of a sudden they get out of the pit of hell and they come back and knock on my door again. And I can open the door and they're back again. Can I come in? Well, might as well. Come on back in. (laughs) Live with me again. I'll fret and worry now about all this stuff, you know, just like I used to because I opened the door and let you back in the house. That's the way human beings are. That's the way Christians are. And that's a very sad thing. Here's the point. Don't fret. But I, 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 I have to... Don't fret about it. I'm going to give you a confession. One of our core values here is vulnerability. So I'm going to confess to you today that I've been involved in an addiction for about the last 20 years. And I'm going to come clean with you today. It was a heroin and methamphetamines, but I'm over it now. I want Chad to know. I'm clean as a whistle now, Chad, last week. So you can keep me on staff a couple of days longer. I appreciate that. That's not true. I made that sound bad, so what I'm about to tell you doesn't sound so bad. (laughs) Here's what I found myself addicted to. Addictions can come in a lot of ways and forms. And here's what came from me. This is, this is going to sound funny. I don't know if anybody's ever confessed they're addicted to this before or not. I've never seen anybody do it or explain it or write a book about it or something. Maybe I should be the first. But here's what I've been addicted to. I've been addicted to the news. You're looking at me like, what? The news, what do you mean? I have been a news junkie for many years. I would get the newspaper and read it every day. Page to page to page to page to page. I would drive in my car and only have two stations on the presets, 106.3 and 94.5. All talk radio all the time. Talk, talk, talk. I would go home and start watching cable news. And I'd watch different characters and different hosts and different shows about cable news. And this thing really accelerated me over the last presidential election. All of a sudden, I was all into, what is Trump saying? What is Trump tweeting? What is Trump doing? What in the world is Trump doing? People are after Trump. The Republicans don't like Trump. The Democrats don't like Trump. Why don't they like Trump? Trump's not too bad. He's trying to have, I, I I'm in this. I'm playing judge and jury with all these people. I'm worried about this and how the government's going. We can't get rid of Obamacare. We can't pass, get tax cuts passed, and we can't do all this. Stuff. And I'm just sitting there. Just... When you think of it, the whole total amount of news that's out there, how much do you think is good versus how much you think is bad? It's probably about 95-5 or 90.10. Bad. So what am I filling my mind up with? Bad stuff. What am I filling my mind up with? All kinds of junk and chaos and anger and people yelling and screaming and fussing and fighting and And I'm over here just How are we going to make it? How are we going to survive as a nation if we don't elect this guy? Oh, thank God we got him now. How are we going to now? How are we going to survive with him? I do not know. So, Lord really convicted me about that. And here's what He basically said: I wish you'd spend as much time with me as you spend with the news. I thought, but. That wasn't fun to hear the Lord say that. So, what did I do? Okay. Number one, stop the paper. Get rid of it. Number two, cancel my TV subscription to a lower tier that didn't have the news station that I liked anymore on the TV. Number two. Uh, Number three, don't over-obsess with all this stuff. And so on the radio, instead of listening to talk radio, now I listen to praise and worship music and little country and pop. But I'll, that's, a different, that's, that's for a different day. I'll confess that if the addiction gets too strong with that music. But I do like both of those genres quite a bit, so. But I got a little praise and worship going to balance it out. I got the three stations. At least I can push the buttons now. Um, The Lord just basically told me something that I heard Bob Newhart one time tell a person is one of my favorite all-time YouTube clips. If you ever get a chance to look at that today, you can just Google Bob Newhart counseling. And you can see a little five-minute clip. I don't know if it was from his TV show, if they just made it for something else, but it just absolutely reminded me of the way God spoke to me about my addiction to news. A woman comes in to see him. He's the counselor. He says, now, Mrs., Mrs. Jones, what is the problem? And she starts to tell him all this stuff. He's just over there taking notes madly as she's writing and stuff. He said, okay, now that you've told me the problem, you get out your pencil. You write down what I tell you, and this is going to be amazing. This is going to help you. So you ready to go? Yeah, get ready to write. Okay, here we go. And she gets all ready. He says, stop it. <laughs> he said, that would be $49.95. Would you like cash or check? <laughs> to pay for that. And she goes, well, I mean, that's all this. Yeah, stop it. That's what God told me about news. Really. He said, stop it. Steve, cancel the paper. Get rid of the movie. Spend more time in your work. Spend more time with me. Delight in me. I'll give you the desires of your heart when my desires become you. Right now, your desires are what you want. I want the news. So don't ever tempt me with news from now on. If you ever... You know, if I'm at your house and there's news on, just turn it off for my sake so I won't fall off the wagon and get back into the problem again. You might say, that's kind of a goofy addiction. Well, that's my life. It's kind of goofy anyway, okay? Now, for 44 years, I've worked in pastoral ministry, and I've met a lot of people over 44 years. I've met a lot of pastors that were well-known guys. If I named them, you know who they were. I've met a lot of pastors who were not so well-known at all. Nobody would know them. I've met authors of famous books. One guy I know, a friend's with, sold 12 million copies of his book. Pretty good. I've known some athletes, Christian athletes before. I've met some Christian athletes before. Had amazing testimonies. They had incredible careers in sports and stuff like that. I have met Christian businessmen who had very successful businesses. Gave a lot of the money away to Christian causes and stuff. I've met some real high up guys in a lot of those fields. And here's one thing they all have in common. Once you get to know them a little bit deeper, they all hurt. But how can you live in that beautiful house and hurt? Because they hurt. How can you have all that money and hurt? They hurt. They go through pain and difficulty and heartbreak and sadness just like me and you do. And sometimes when people go through things like that, they tend to think that they're all alone, that they're all by themselves having to deal with all this stuff. To the varying degrees, they've served Jesus with their whole hearts But none of them have been able to avoid the rough and the tough patches and places of life. None of them have been able to dodge the reality that everything dies. I'm dying. So are you. You walk out those doors, you're an hour later dying than you were when you walked in earlier. (laughs) We're all dying. The pain of the world really does have an expiration date. One day, this world will be over, dead, and gone. The Bible says there'll be a new heaven, and there'll be a new earth. That's right. It'll be, it'll be dead, and everything will be all new again. So that's what's coming in the future, and that's the team we're on. We've all hit the brick wall of confusion. We've all done this before, but having to get over it and understand truly that God wants us to not fret, and that we're not alone in anything that we deal with or go through, but everybody has common interests In common, the same thing has happened to you about the various pains that have happened to your life and your family as well. We've had real tragedies and tough things happen in our family over the last few years too. Well, let me tell you one final story here. Two weeks ago, I had the privilege to be in Colorado Springs, and I was doing an event for Walk Through the Bible, an organization I've worked for for about 30 years and I was out there as the MC for their donor conference. Now, that's a wonderful job if you can get it. It's a good job. You get to go to a five-star resort for four or five days, wine and dine wealthy people who want to give a lot of money for the cause of Christ and tell jokes and be funny with them. That's my job while I'm there and to be nice to people and set up the speakers and stuff. So I get to do that. But this year made it really special. I've done this for about seven years. This year made it real special because my son, Aaron Keys, they asked him to come lead worship for us at the conference. And so, Aaron is an amazing worship leader. He was one of our original worship leaders in our church before we merged here when we first started years ago. He's since gone on now and is in Atlanta, Georgia. and has a ministry called 10,000 Fathers where he trains worship leaders from all over the world. Well, when Aaron was there, it was so good to see him there and he really just... Uh, he just blessed the hearts of the people that, that when, when they were there. You could just tell there was something happening in the room when he would lead worship, and the people would respond to him. He sang with his guitar and his friend Austin, who was playing guitar, and they were doing a great job. But the next day, Aaron said this. He said, Dad, I'd really like to find a keyboard around here. Do you know how I could get a keyboard? I said, well, I don't know. I asked the hotel. No, they don't have one. He said, I'll do this. So I got on Facebook. And he put out to some of his vast network of musicians and stuff like that the idea that, hey, this is Aaron. I'm in Colorado Springs. Anybody know if there's a keyboard at some church here that I can borrow? Instantly, almost, he got back a response from someone that said, hey, call my friend Will. He will. I mean, call this guy named Seth. This guy was named Will that contacted Aaron. He will help you. I'll contact him for you. Aaron calls this guy Seth. Says, can we get a keyboard and borrow it for a couple days for our conference? Says, said, absolutely. I'll meet you over at our church. Come over and pick it up. So over we went. I went with him. We went over to pick up this keyboard in this church. When I saw this church, I thought, this is very unusual. This was an old Baptist church. It was donated to this young upstart church a few years ago because they had gone down so much in attendance, they couldn't even keep up the building. And they gave it to this young pastor and a couple of his staff guys to start a new ministry. This church is called the Sanctuary Church, and their theme is, come as you are, okay? Now, this church is all about what they say on their card, hope, healing, and freedom. And come to find out, what he told us, the story of this church, it was a lot of this. They were downtown in kind of a poverty-stricken area of Colorado Springs, and all around them were a lot of people who were kind of homeless, poor Uh, down and out a little bit on their luck. And so these were a lot of the people that would gravitate to this kind of a ministry. It reminded me of Triune Mercy Center here in Greenville. We have a center in Greenville that's a wonderful one ministry. We've partnered with them in the past, and a lot of you have been down there before and seen the work that they do. They do amazing ministry. That's what it kind of reminded me of. But they took me inside this auditorium and showed me the artwork that their people had drawn and created and it was just beautiful. They had artwork in different places around the room. And I was just really intrigued how cool it was to see these artwork pictures of, like, people coming out of addiction and stuff like that and being set free in Christ. And, boy, it was just it was moving, to say the least. And then as I was looking at the, the pews, it all had pews because it was an old Southern Baptist church. And then the pew, I pulled this card out of the pew. And I asked Seth, I said, what does this mean? He said, this is a card that we read every Sunday together as a congregation before we start our service. I said, oh, we read some stuff too. You know, before we start our in, our, in the middle of our service, we read a first fruits offerings blessing. We do that every week here. I said, we do something similar. Let me see what they're reading together. And he said, okay. I, I said, and I read this. I said, could I have this card? He said, sure, you can take it with you. And when I read it, I thought, wow. I mean, there's some words on here I'm not even going to be able to say in mixed audience here, but I'll, I will use most of them, Okay. So here's what, he, here's, what, here's what I read every Sunday. They'll be doing that today at the sanctuary church as people walk in the doors. He'll say, Take out your card. Let's all read together. And off and running, they'll go. Here's what he said He says, If you are a saint, a sinner, a loser, a winner. If you're abused or you're an abuser. If you're a whore or if you're a gambler. If you're lost. Or if you're fearful, if you're ADHD, or if you're a liar, or if you're a hypocrite, or you're a lover, or you're a cutter, or you're a tweaker. I didn't know what that was. That's somebody on methamphetamines. I had to look that one up say, what, what, what was a tweaker? If you're an alcoholic, if you're adopted, if you're abandoned, if you're leftover, if you're divorced, if you're alone, if you're old, I would fit there. If you're young, if you're driven, if you're a cheater, if you're successful, if you're infected, if you're rejected, if you're pierced and tatted, or you're just a misfit, you're welcome here. That's what they read. I thought, hmm. Now, when I came back, I remember thinking, when the people would come to that church, they would kind of... No, this is the culture. In our church, we look up probably a little better dressed than they do today. We probably came here in little nicer vehicles than perhaps they have. We probably gave a bigger offering perhaps today than they might have received there. But if truth were known, and we pull back the curtain of your life, you may have one or two or three or five or nine or ten of these things true about you. Because there were several of them that were true about me too. So, what am I saying? You are not alone. Whatever you're going through, other people in this family have gone through it. We love people here and we accept people here just like that card says who walk in these doors because we want to reach all people everywhere as this church body. And I love it that Bridgeway has this idea of being community and a family, that we're going to love people wherever we find them, no matter what race or color or ethnic group or socioeconomic background, come on in the doors. You are welcome here. So remember, when you come into a situation like us, remember this. We're broken just like you're broken. Chad often says this. He does a great job of helping us to understand that we're like this too, and you're welcome here. But here's the thing to remember today. Happiness is not found in some circumstance. It's not some situation, what you have or able to do or something like that. Happiness is found one way, and that is through the Father in his love, developing deep friendship with him, as Chad teaches us, and then learning to spread that deep friendship with others that come across your path. That's when you find it. Let me show you this final quote. It says this, you will never find a circumstance that perfectly satisfies you. (laughs) You never will. Here's why. Your soul finds rest in God. Say that with me out loud. Your soul finds rest in God. Happiness is not a circumstance. It's found in the living being, Abba, your heavenly Father. And that's the truth. Chad hammers it into our heads and into our hearts each week that we're here. I hope for some of you like me, it's starting to take a little bit of root. And to change the way I think and feel and not do this so much anymore. But to realize I don't have to fret about anything. Because I have him as my heavenly father. And you do too. As we end our service, we're going to have our prayer servants here. If you have anything that hit you today that I was talking about of a fear, a doubt, something you fret about. If you would simply say... I want someone to pray with me about this, I would want you to come to the front, meet with a prayer servant, and confess that to them. You say, I'll just confess it to God. Won't he forgive me? Absolutely. But the Bible says this, confess your faults one to another. Why? Because that adds some accountability with somebody else. It shows some determination by, on your part to take a step to say, I'm going to leave that that fretting right here, I'm not going to take it out these doors, and then from this day forward, I'm not going to carry it out that door. Not, it's not going to impact my life anymore, and you can choose to do that. That's a decision that you can make yourself, so I would love to have you come. Prayer servants, come on down, if you will, to the front. Stand right here. Then I'm going to pray a blessing over you as we leave. Let's all stand up. Let's, let's, let's pray. Would you extend your hands like that? And I'm just going to pray a blessing over you. Lord, for every hand that is open, uh, we know they, they are stained with many of those words that we read about on that card. But we know by your goodness and grace that you've forgiven us. You've cleansed us from this. And yet we still tend to carry things that cause us to fret. May today we come forward and let someone pray for us. Someone intercede for us on our behalf that we can leave this room today and be different than we were when we came in, just like we sang about a little earlier. So, Lord, we love you today. Thank you for what you've done in this church family. I pray that we'd always have open arms and open hearts to everybody that walks through the doors. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Have a wonderful day.